Timothy, my dear son in the Lord, I trust that this letter finds you well. It's cold here in my prison cell. So cold. They've put me in perhaps the darkest and the dampest cell that they have. I can barely read my own writing as I pen this letter to you. But it's not just my body that's cold. My heart is cold. I long for the days we spent together with our brothers and sisters, those crazy days we spent walking across the sun-drenched countryside from town to town, bringing the word of God to everyone we met. Those days we spent under a hot, scorching sun, making tents just to put a few pennies in our pockets. Remember those days? Ah, we were so poor back then. But we made do, didn't we? I even cherished the times when the world was against us and Demas deserted us and Alexander the metalsmith tried to do us harm and we had to flee from city to city. At least we had each other back then. Timothy, my heart is cold. All those friendships are gone now. Priscilla, Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus weren't even able to be there with me at my first defense. And now I am all alone. Only memories of you and of our siblings keeps me warm. Well, the courts are deliberating, and you know me. I was a Pharisee before I met the Lord, and I know how the law works, even Roman law. And I can already tell things are not going well for me. Not well at all. Timothy, if I'm right, then this will be my last chance to write to you. Remember me, old friend. Remember the life I shared with you. And above all else, remember our Lord. Keep the faith, my son. Keep the faith your friend and your brother in Christ, Paul. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for speaking to us for the last month and a bit through the book of 2 Timothy. Thank you for the things that we've seen. Thank you for the ways that you've challenged us, corrected us, rebuked us, and encouraged us. Please allow our lives now to change, to glorify you more. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Timothy, if I'm right, then this will be my last chance to write to you. Remember me, my old friend. Remember the life I shared with you. And above all else, remember our Lord. Keep the faith, my son. Keep the faith. The great apostle Paul is penning this letter in the winter of his life. Soon after this, he'll be led outside and executed. And as he's old and as he's cold, and as he's sitting in his prison cell, he looks back at his life's work, and it's a disaster. The church in Ephesus has been riddled by false teachers, and they have won. People have deserted Christ and deserted him and followed the false teachers. And he himself is about to die, and his friends aren't with him either. Everything about his life and his ministry looks like a complete loss. So what are his last words 
to his charge, Timothy? Is it, oh, I'm so scared, please help? Is it, please ask the jailer to let me go? Is it, please petition once again Caesar to let me off, give me clemency? What are Paul's last words to his friend and younger brother in Christ? Well, Paul says three things. He says, Timothy, judgment day is coming, so preach the word. He says, Timothy, judgment day is coming, so keep your head, keep the faith. And he says, Timothy, judgment day is coming, so make sure you leave a legacy for those behind you. Preach the word, keep your mind and keep the faith, and leave a legacy. Let's look at each of these in turn. First of all, verse 1 to 2, it says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing, judgment day is coming, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, Paul speaks to Timothy And he says, judgment day is coming, preach the word. And it is a word to Timothy. But it's not just to Timothy, it's to Christian leaders. But it's not just to Christian leaders, it's to all Christians. This book is for us to read as well. And he says, because judgment day is coming, all of us, preach the word. Now when we see and hear that, we think, oh my goodness, preach the word, that's kind of scary because, you know, I'm not like this guy, I'm not Billy Graham. And I sort of think, that's what I've got to be, or at the very least, um, I have to be someone who stands up the front of a congregation and, and preaches to a group of people, 100 people plus. But the word is, is it is preached, but it has the flavor of proclaim or even announce. And announcing is something that all of us can do. And in fact, we do do. Just last week, I was in, um, we we're having morning tea. And I was uh, talking to a couple of guys, and one of the guys announced to me that uh, Ip Man 4 is coming out. Now, Ip Man was Bruce Lee's um, coach, right? He's Sifu. And so there's been a series of movies about him, and this guy announced to us that number four, the end of it, is coming out. So after that, of course, is Bruce Lee, right? And so he announced that. A little while ago, some guy announced to me that um, Top Gun 2 is coming out. Now, Top Gun was a movie I watched in my teenage years, and like 30-odd years later, it's the second one's coming out. We're very excited. But it's not just about movies. We announce stuff all the time, don't we? We announce that uh, our kids have, are going to a new school next year or that uh, one of our friends or our sister or brother, is that they're, they're pregnant with a child. Uh, we announce that you know, such and such is getting married. We make announcements all the time. And so that's kind of what he's saying here. Just announce the Word of God. Let people know in your daily, daily conversations about the Word of God. Now, during Christmas time, this is very easy, isn't it? Because if, if you're a woman, and I guess if you're a man as well, you can just announce to people, hey, you know, there's a women's Christmas event on this Wednesday night. Why don't you come? Uh, we can announce to people that Carol's on Clandall's coming up. Why don't you come? We can actually announce to people things that we learned at church, just in way of conversation. Oh, you know what? I was at church on Sunday, and I heard this. I was a small group, a Bible study during the week, and I heard this. And you can just tell people, just announce to people the truth about God, the Word of God. All of us can do this. It's not just for leaders. It's not just for preachers. And so Paul tells Timothy, and the Holy Spirit tells us, preach the word. Now, having said that, I know for a lot of us, we're sort of thinking, oh gosh, that's kind of awkward. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to, as soon as we walk outside and we buy lunch this afternoon, as we order, we say, hey, um, can I have a chicken sandwich? And also, Jesus loves you. Um, Go to church. Are we supposed to do that? Is that what Paul's saying? 
Well, not quite, because we know that Paul is very clever as well. He knows what arguments to, to give to which people. He's strategic in the way he does things. And he knows you need to build relationships and live a good life so that people can actually trust you. He knows this. He does this in his own life. And so too with us. We need to be wise when we preach the word. We need to have relationships. We need to build bridges. And so therefore, it's good for us to, to continually think about how to bring our conversations with people, how to bring our relationships with people to a point where we can actually build that relationship and preach the word to them, announce God's love and goodness to them. Um, a long time ago when I was in corporate, um, we used to meet downtown with a whole bunch, of, lots of good people did this, and we met in what we called evangelistic prayer teams. Right? And so pretty much you just meet with a bunch of guys uh, and you sort of talk about your friends. You say, look, I've got a few friends that I really want to bring the truth of God to, and so therefore, can you pray for them? And so we'd have a little, little scale where you know, it'd be like, I just met them, I've said hello, but then later on it'd be like, I've had a coffee with them, and, I've, and the next one is I've had a little bit of a significant conversation with them, and all the way down the line until, you know what, we're, we're close enough now to actually share life and share the gospel with them. Yeah? And so we had this process, and we'd pray for each other doing this. And it just made us more deliberate, more intentional in our conversations. There's a pathway to do it. In fact, I heard that there was a 7 p.m. small group just on Saturday. They met together in one of their houses, and they wrote uh, names of three of their friends on the, on the glass door in this uh, uh, woman's apartment. And they said, oh, these are my three friends. Can you please pray for them uh, that I'll have conversations with at some point? And they encouraged each other. They prayed for each other so that they'll be intentional in leading their relationship through this pathway to eventually being able to announce God's goodness to them. So there's a pathway, and we need to be wise and sensitive as to how we do preach the word, announce the goodness of God. But having said that, I think a lot of us, we are so caught up in the pathway, and certainly this is me, that we just stay on the pathway forever, and we never get to a significant or a gospel conversation with our friends. And I think for us, we need to stop being so sophisticated, so politically correct, so socially acceptable, and in fact, be a little bit childlike in the way we actually share God's word with people. Now, a long time ago, one of my children, I won't say who, um, she was at preschool, and um, now you know it's a girl, <laughs> one or two. And she was at preschool, and the teacher said to me, oh, Tom, can I speak with you, please? And I said, sure. She goes, you know what? Um, okay, Renee. Right? <laughs> Renee made one of her friends cry. And I said, oh, no, what, what happened? She goes, she told her friend that there was no Santa Claus I thought, oh. So I said, oh, Renee, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry, you know. So in the car, I said, okay, Renee, you know, we don't, we don't say that, things like that at preschool. And she said, why? It's true. I said, yeah, I know it's true, but, you know, some parents try and tell their children there's a Santa Claus. She goes, but they're lying to their kids. <laughs> I said, well, they're not lying to their kids as such. They're kind of playing a game with their kids. And, you know, later on they'll tell them. I said, okay, fine. And now later on she's in kindergarten, and once again I'm go into a classroom, and the teacher says, oh, Tom, can I speak with you, please? So, oh. <laughs> goes, oh, Renee and her friend made another one of their friends cry. I thought, oh. Okay, well, what happened? And she goes, oh, these two girls, Renee and her friend, told this other girl, if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. Thought, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But, you know. So I get into the car, and it's like, well, Renee, we don't do things like that. Because why not? It's the truth. I said, yeah, it's the truth, but, you know, we, 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 we say Jesus loves you, you know, come to my church, my kids' church, you know, and then over time when we make good friends with them, we can then say to them, hey, you know what, I really, you're, you're my good friend, I love you, and you know what, 
God loves you as well, and, and if you don't love God, he's sort of sad and sort of angry at people who don't love him because he loves him so much. We say it like that. And so Renee, okay, fine. And ever since kindergarten, I've had no more of these incidents. <laughs> now, part of it is good, right? Because maybe she's um, matured and she's a bit wiser now. But I thought to myself, part of it could be bad. Maybe Renee's grown up. Maybe she's sophisticated. Maybe she's like me now. She's socially acceptable. She's, she's politically correct. And maybe she's just stopped telling people about God altogether. Maybe she's not doing it anymore because she's become like an adult, like me. And is that a good thing? See, we do need to announce the love of God and the truth of the Bible to our friends and our family members. We need to be wise. We need to be gracious. But sometimes I think for all of us, we're just a little bit too sophisticated for our own good. And we need to just be like a child again and just to share and be honest, loving and gentle, but honest and to share. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy to do. And this is what God is telling us to do. Announce the goodness of God. In season and out of season, every day is going to be tricky. Every day is a good day to do it. So let's just do it. And especially with Christmas time coming up, we'll have ample opportunity. So let's go away this week, find opportunities, with grace, with patience, with skill, with sensitivity, announce God's goodness to our friends and our family members, like a child even. Well, he moves on. He says, you know, in the final day, it's going to be very tricky. People aren't going to want to listen to the truth. You're going to announce the truth, but people aren't going to want to listen to it. People are going to turn away. They're going to want to listen to affirmation. They're going to want to listen to what their itching ears want to hear. And so he says, keep your head and keep the faith. He does this in verse 3 to 5. Come with me. It says this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn the ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You see, back in the first century, and it's true in the 21st century as well, people aren't going to want to hear the truth that we're going to tell them from God. Uh, the whole the world is like this. <clears throat> um, I help out in a mission organization called OMF. And uh, middle of this year, we went to Malaysia, a bunch of us went there, and we heard a lot of reports, and we, uh, we, we tried to work out better ways of doing mission around the world. Uh, OMF is like a CMS. Right? And so we did this. They locked us up in a room for about uh, a week or so, a week and a half, and then we sort of heard stories. And we heard really good stories about how the gospel is going out through the world. But we also heard some really scary stories as well about how the world just does not want to hear about Christ. One particular scary story uh, was there was a... There was a, a a family who was in a, what we call a creative access nation. You can't just go in as a missionary. You have to go in as a businessman or a teacher. And then in your role in daily life, you actually get to share with people. You get to announce to people the truth and the love of Jesus. Right? And so this particular family got this, this knocking on the door at an early time in the morning. And uh, the people complained. We said, we're from downstairs and there's something. You're leaking through the, 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 um, the ceiling. Can we come in and have a look? And so the guy is semi-conscious, so he opens the door, and in rushes uh, six guys in suits. And they start ransacking his place. They're picking up notebooks, they're picking up computers, photo albums, a whole lot. And they bring him in for an interview, which is actually an interrogation. Uh, after a day, they let the wife and the kids go, but they kept this guy for several days. 
and just interviewed him and interviewed him and interviewed him. And at one point, uh, they said to him, look, unlock your laptop, unlock your computer. Uh, of course, he said no. Um, you know, the FBI can't unlock iPhones and Chinese government can't unlock laptops. And so he said no. And they said, fine. So more interrogations. And they brought him to another level, a lower level, with another bunch of interrogators. And they questioned him, questioned him again, and said, unlock your laptop. And he said no. And so after a day or two of that, he went down to another level. And in this particular level, they showed him two chairs. They said, unlock your laptop, and you will, we'll interview you from this chair. If you don't unlock your laptop, then we'll interview you from this chair. And this other chair was some sort of torture chair. And so at that point, he was mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted, physically tired, and he sort of waited up to himself. I either don't unlock it, and I could be injured or even killed, and my wife will lose a husband, and my children will lose a father, uh, or I'd unlock it, and I'll expose a lot of the activities uh, of this organization uh, in this area. And so in the end, he, he had no choice. So he unlocked his computer, and they got all this information about the work in, in this particular region. And then they let him go, and then they deported him from this country. And now he's in a safe country, but he's psychologically, emotionally just, just destroyed. Yeah, he thinks he blames himself for, for betraying his friends, for betraying God, and he's just, he just needs a lot of counseling, a lot of care, and all his work that he's been building up for years is now just being destroyed. You see, the world doesn't want to hear the truth about God, even though we announce it. Now, this was an example of something extreme, something on a macro level, a country level, but it's not just true of these national big country things. It's also true right here, isn't it, in the North Shore? Um, I've been hearing a lot about uh, school scripture in a school that's starting up nearby, and they've been trying to get school scripture running, and eventually they did, but they gave them time slot of 2.30 on a Friday afternoon, which is a terrible time. Praise God that there is scripture. That's fantastic. But also, what a terrible time. See, even in our own area, people don't want to hear the truth. They would much rather hear the stuff that their itching ears want to hear. But it's not just in the North Shore outside, is it? It's actually inside the church. It's inside us. Let's flip this a bit. Um, they don't want to hear the truth, but oftentimes we don't want to hear the truth either, do we? And that was certainly the case in this particular church in Ephesus that Tim, uh, Timothy's in. You see, when we read the Word, we come to church, we go to small groups, we get engaged with the Word of God. And the Word of God does many things for us. In today's passage, it says, sometimes it encourages us. Oh, we love that. We love when the Word of God encourages us. Lap it up. Preach it more. Tell me. Encourage me. Sometimes it corrects us. Oh, gee, not too sure about that one. Yeah, we have preconceptions about God and the Christian life, and sometimes the Bible just tells us we're wrong. And so, oh, I'm not sure about that. It's a bit, okay, I have to think, change my thinking, but I kind of like my old thinking, mm, or oh, maybe. And sometimes the Word of God actually rebukes us. You know, the way that you're living, the things that you're doing, is actually wrong. You need to change. You need to repent. We don't like that. We hear that. We go, oh, gosh, the, the passage must be wrong. The, the small group leader must be wrong. The preacher must be wrong. This must be a dodgy version of the Bible. I'm going to get a different version. But we don't like that when it rebukes us. We want to hear what our itching ears want to hear, not the truth of God in the Bible. So the encouragement for today is don't just look at the world who are trying to push missionaries out of certain nations. Don't just look at the North Shore, which is trying to put scripture to Friday afternoons. 
but let's look at ourselves and how we receive the truth of God. When it encourages, let's be encouraged. When it corrects, let's change our thinking to align with the Bibles. And when it rebukes, let's go away, apologize to God, change our lives so it can be more like Christ. Let's not just listen to what our itching ears want to hear, but listen to the truth of the Bible. Well, he moves on. And at the end, he said, judgment day is coming, and so therefore I'm going to leave a legacy. And the encouragement to Timothy is he should leave one too. We see this in verses 6 through to 8. Come with me. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, Paul has lived his life, the latter part of his life, after he became a Christian, following Jesus. He's, been, he's put himself, and God has put himself into harm's way. He's been beaten, he's been betrayed, he's had to flee from city to city. He's done all of this so he can actually bring the word of God to people. And at the end, he says, I've fought the good fight like a soldier. I've competed, I've finished the race like an athlete and I've kept the faith. My legacy isn't going to be some sort of mega church that I planted, and everyone thinks, wow, fantastic. We have so many churches called St. Paul's, and St. Andrew's even, and I think if those guys were here, they'd probably be a bit amazed that we would call churches after them. But nothing wrong with that. But Paul's legacy is not that he left a mega church called St. Paul's. Paul's legacy isn't that he had lots of money or lots of assets to pass on to his children. He didn't have children. Paul's legacy is that he took the word of God, he kept it pure, this good deposit, and he passed it on to many people around him, including, in this particular case, Timothy. And Timothy had this word, undiluted, unpolluted, unalloyed. And Timothy was to take it and give it to the next generation of men and women who will keep it undiluted, unpolluted, unalloyed to pass to the next generation. That's Paul's legacy. And I wonder what our legacy is going to be when we die. wonder what they'll say about Tom at my funeral. <clears throat> will they say, oh, he's a nice guy, he did stuff around church, did stuff around ch- school? Yeah, I hope they do. Uh, will they say, well, his, will my Christian friends say, yeah, it was kind of nice. Um, he came to small group, he came to church, taught a few things, was quite encouraging, served in a few ministries? I hope they say that too. Uh, well, my kids and my family say, oh, he's a good father. He sort of provided for us. He drove us places, played with us, taught us stuff. I hope they say that as well. But what will they say, what will they say at my funeral or your funeral? What will our legacy be? Will our non-Christian friends say, you know what? Even though it was awkward, he, he'd spent time with me, he built relationship with me, and eventually, in the awkwardness, he actually shared God with me and because of that, I became a Christian, and now I have relationship with God. Will there be non-Christians at our funeral who say that about us? Will our Christian friends say, wow, he came to church, he was a part of a community in a small group. When, he was, when the Bible was encouraging, he, he was bolstered by that. When the Bible corrected his thinking, he changed the way he thought to align with God's. And when the Bible rebuked him, he went off and apologized to God and changed his life. 
And because he did it, I was encouraged to do the same myself. And when my kids say, yeah, he played with us, he drove us places, but he spent every night reading the Bible with me. They, he modeled Christ. And as a result of that, by the grace of God, we now have a personal, our own relationship with God. Will they say that about me? Will they say that about you? What's the legacy that we will leave behind when it's our turn to go? Well, <clears throat> Paul said to Timothy, in these last days, people aren't going to want to listen to you. And so he says, but you, Timothy, discharge all the duties of your ministry because I can't do it anymore. They're about to execute me. If not in a few hours, then in a few days, who knows? But it won't be long. It's time for my departure. It's time for me to strike tent and move on to the next camp. It's time for me to weigh anchor and sail to another shore. But it's okay. I have no regrets. I've endured hardship and fought the good fight like a soldier. I've, complete, I've competed according to the rules and finished the race like an athlete. And I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. And you know what? If I had to do it all over again, I would. Because God's truth and God's love is that good. And now there's nothing left for me to do here. But there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on the other side. It's up to you now, Timothy, my dear son. It's up to you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Soon after penning these words, the Apostle Paul will be taken outside. A historian called Eusebius tells us that he'd be marched three miles down the Ostian Way outside Rome, where he'd meet with Peter again, and they'd be executed. Peter would be crucified upside down, and Paul, because he's a Roman citizen, would be beheaded. Paul penned these words in the winter of his life. He is old, he was cold, and everything from a human point of view of his life and ministry lay in total ruin. But yet his life wasn't a failure, was it? He met Jesus. He followed Jesus. He left a good deposit. One that was the truth of God, the love of God, and he passed it on to Timothy, unpolluted, undiluted, unalloyed. He passed on to Timothy, who then passed it on to reliable men and women, who then passed on to reliable men and women all through the centuries and has arrived to us here today. Now we have this good deposit. We have this truth of God. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to keep it inside the church? We need to. We need the word of God here. We need to encourage each other with it. But are we just going to keep it inside the church? Or are we going to share it? Are we going to preach the word, announce the goodness of God to those around us? Are we going to announce the goodness of God to our sons and our daughters, to our granddaughters and grandsons. So there will always be people on earth who know the love and truth of God and who honour him because of that. We have the good deposit now. And under God, it's up to us. Keep the faith, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep the faith.
Amen.